0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So Father, we come to your word again, and I am, we are eager to hear from you this morning. So please come and speak to us, Lord, you know, every need, every fear, every secret sin, every brokenness, every joy in this room, Lord. And it is only by a miracle of your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit that uh, this word will work in each heart. And you promise us your word doesn't return empty. So, Lord, we pray that you'd have your word, which is sufficient to do this work, do this work in us this morning. Convict, comfort, encourage, exhort us by the power of your word and the working of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have to admit that for the last year, I thought all of you had just stopped singing loudly, but apparently... Not quite as much. You were a bit louder this morning in the front row. Uh, so he- here we are in Acts 11, and I'll just admit that this, uh, this message is going to kind of keep, from this point on, being redundant in some ways. And I think it's that way on purpose. Uh, so, so here's what I mean. In, in the book of Acts, what we're going to keep seeing is Jesus leading his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. People get saved as Jesus leads his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. And those people go and spread out, and they tell other people about Jesus who get saved by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is what all the Christian life is about. And so cinemas, as we, we read Acts, we're looking for these, these special silver bullets to Christianity. And what we're seeing is just Christianity. Right? This is how it's been. For 2,000 years. And so as we dive in, I pray that our hearts would not grow tired of hearing the same thing, but excited that this is what God has been and continues to do. And as we read through the book of Acts, it would be good for us to not only look at the quantity of disciples coming to Jesus, but to look at the quality of the disciples being made. In other words, if your hearts long to see people in our neighborhoods, you see the video about our global partners, you want to see people in the nations come to know Jesus Christ, we should ask ourselves, and we're gonna get a chance to over and over and over again in the book of Acts, ask ourselves, are our priorities in our hearts as a people in step with the priorities and the kinds of disciples we see in the book of Acts, in the early church? So what have we seen in Acts? It's just kind of take a step to review. In Acts, we've seen King Jesus on the move. Acts 1-1, Jesus at every step is the one working and teaching to save people from their sins and bring His kingdom to bear. What's the main message of the preaching that we've seen in Acts? As we've gotten to these sermons, what's the main message been? Anyone know? Encourage me. I'm just kidding. The main message is repent. That's the main message of every single sermon in Acts. Well, why is that the main message? Because our sin, ours being all of humanity, our sin against a holy God is always our biggest problem. So the message in Acts over and over again is turn from sin to the crucified King who lived the perfect life we couldn't live, died the death for sins we deserve to die, rose again to conquer death, ascended on high to reign on His throne, and then sent the Spirit to continue to work among His people. Over and over again, like they are not creative at all in what they preach. Right? Repent. And what we know in our lives... And as a church, is that repentance is not a one-time thing, right? The Christian life is a life of repentance. So like Acts 3 says, repent in order that times of refreshing might come. You know that's not just a one-time thing. As you repent of the sin that still clings so closely, what happens? Refreshing in your heart because you draw near to Jesus. Or Hebrews 12 tells us, lay aside every sin, That clings so closely. The epistles plead with the church to wake up from sin, put to death what is earthly, walk in newness of life. King Jesus over and over calls us to die to ourselves and bow completely to him. The commands of Christ are meant to lead us into the life of Christ. And so, the greatest enemy of the church, our greatest enemy at the South Campus, is still our own sin. The greatest obstacle to our spreading the gospel is still our own sin. It is not the culture, no matter how bad the culture gets. The worst the culture can do is persecute us and kill us, which is nothing for the Christian. It's the worst it can do, but our sin can paralyze us, can stop us. We keep it hidden Right, we, we have these social media profiles that put our best foot forward and struggle with decades of addiction before bringing it in to the light. We keep our sin hidden. We live in secret guilt and shame. We let it slowly eat away at our fellowship with Jesus. In obedience to His calling, it keeps us out of relationships. We stiff-arm other people because they might get too close and see the real us. And when you're there, you're not going to tell anyone about Jesus. Well, you're not going to boldly say, look what Jesus has done for me. You're just trying to hide from him yourself. One of the ways we could totally waste this pandemic we've been through is to not take a moment and ask the Lord, what sin has he been revealing to us? And listen, as as the blood-bought family of God, we do it with complete freedom that it's already been forgiven. What a beautiful Amazing thing that our sins are forgiven. So we have this freedom to say, Lord, show me my sin. Show me my sin. What idols were lying under the surface in your heart and at our church? What places were you individually and we as a people and me individually finding joy, hope, security, comfort, That wasn't ultimately in Jesus Christ. Oh, that there would be a holy refining among us. A holy refining among us because we know we can confess and fight our sins because they've already been canceled by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because we know our King is worthy of all of our obedience. So we've seen the preaching is repent from sin. Come to Jesus. Turn from sin. And the kind of people we see produced, as they turn from sin, as they see the beauty of Jesus, as they begin to live in His presence with one another, is a devoted people. Steadfast people. We just see these words over and over again in Acts. Devoted and steadfast. Devoted and steadfast. What does that mean? It means they want more of Jesus. They are not settling for this first drink that they've had. They're going in for more, pressing in for more. They're not satisfied. There's a holy discontentment that says, I want more of Jesus. Well, what do they do to get more? They listen to his word. They speak to Him in prayer. They spend time listening to His Word and speaking to Him in prayer with the body of Christ. They carry His name wherever they are. Knowing and spreading Jesus is really the first priority for these people in Acts. Persecution and suffering was ongoing. And prayer and spreading was growing among the people of the early church. So, the question we should ask ourselves is Are we devoted to Jesus as a people? Are you all in for Jesus? Are we all in for Jesus? Is the place, and I'm, I don't ask these questions to make you feel bad, it's we're forgiven. <laughs> Walk in freedom, but ask yourself the questions, so you get more of the best thing in the world. But I want to ask myself these questions. Is the place I love to be most in the presence of Jesus? Is the longing of my heart, I man, today what I want more than anything is more of Jesus? Is the deepest purpose of your life, know Him, make Him known? He's everything. Would the way I spend my time, my energy, my money, Reflect a life devoted to the ambition of knowing Jesus and making him known? Would it reflect a life of worship that I long to bring his kingdom to bear wherever I am? Or would it reveal that I want to preserve my kingdom here on earth? I want my little slice of heaven here on earth. We can't fake this, right? You can't, well, we can, we shouldn't. Maybe I should say we shouldn't fake this. Can't fake devotion to the word, prayer, or each other. But one of my one of my prayers for us, and I would ask you just to join me in praying, because that's where the power comes from, is that we'd pray against sinfulness, that we pray against a stagnancy in our faith and ask the Lord, say, Lord, come refine us. Just refine us, make us useful. Help us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Lord, come and refresh us in our fellowship with Jesus. Lord, come and redeploy us to carry His name wherever we go. I want that to happen here. Would you join me in praying for that? Would you be all in to say, Lord, help us? With that intro, let's let's dive in here to the text. We've got a whole chapter to go through. But it's okay. I'm going to go quick with most of its review. So point number one is salvation of the Gentiles and the glory of God. So this is the review section. So let me remind you, maybe you haven't been here, so let me remind you of kind of where we've been over the last two weeks and what we've seen. An Italian Gentile soldier received a vision to send for Peter who was in Joppa. And then at the same time, while well, that's happening, Peter received a vision that all foods and therefore fellowship with all peoples were clean. So, this is a sounding moment in redemptive history. King Jesus. It's not a tribal or national God, but a global God worthy of global praise. So much bigger than Lakeville. So much bigger than Minnesota. So much bigger than America. So much bigger, right? Worthy of global praise. Praise, worthy of every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Like missions exist because worship doesn't. And in our hearts, what's beating is he's worthy of it all. He deserves the praise from that tribe and that people, and that's why our missionaries go. And that's what we begin to see here. As soon as these visions, these coinciding visions are done, these men show up and say, Peter, come with us and meet our master Cornelius, and so he travels with them to meet Cornelius and his family and friends. The Spirit Spirit tells Peter to go, and he goes and he preaches, again, the message of the gospel, right? The the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the soon-to-come return of King Jesus as judge and the forgiveness of sins in him, and the Holy Spirit falls, so we see Acts one eight continue to be fulfilled as a Gentile soldier and his family and his friends are baptized into the family of God. King Jesus is keeping his promises. All of them are yes and amen. He's keeping his promises by the Holy Spirit to make his people witnesses for the sake of his name to the nations. So let's look at the first four verses here at that review and see how this news lands on Peter's friends back in Jerusalem. Here's what it says. Chapter 11, verses 1-4. to Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order, which is what I just described to you. So this mighty work of God is followed up immediately by criticism as Peter gets back to Jerusalem. In other words, what they're asking, what they should be asking, this makes sense, is how could Peter eat with these unclean people? how, How could you defile yourself? How could you be so unfaithful? So Peter tells the story again. Peter says, well, God told me not to call them unclean anymore. Must obey God rather than men. Right? The spirit told me to make no distinction as I went. And look at verse 17. It's kind of the summary statement that Peter makes to this group of Jews that's gathered. He says, "If then God gave the same gift to them, that's the Holy Spirit, as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> who was I that I could stand in God's way? Peter says, God told me they're clean. God told me to make no distinction. I preached about our murdered Messiah who rose again. The Holy Spirit fell on them. They began to worship God. And I was not about to fight God and how he's going to save people. How do they respond? It says, well, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads... To life. One of the things that now is a theme that will pick up over and over again in the book of Acts is how all peoples are level at the foot of the cross. All peoples are level at the foot of the cross, which is the heart of ethnic harmony. You want to know what the the heart of ethnic harmony is? Is that all peoples are level at the foot of the cross. They wanted to criticize Peter for his association with unclean Gentiles, but there's a gradual realization brought about by God in the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts that the need of the whole world is not to be like this group, Or like that group, to change ethnicities, to change social circles, to change earthly allegiances or alliances, but to repent from sin and come into the life of Jesus Christ. And the global saving work of King Jesus leads to the global glory of God. Every time someone in our neighborhoods or the nations comes to know Jesus and the Spirit falls and they enter the water of baptisms, we should rejoice that God is continuing this kind of work. Oh, that we would not forget the miracle that salvation is. That we'd be a people that rejoice. He's done it. As we sit here in Lakeville, most of us Gentiles, we should praise God that there is no distinction whether someone is from Lakeville or Liberia. Savage or Syria, Pryor Lake or Pakistan, Apple Valley or Afghanistan, Shakopee or Somalia, Rosemont or Russia, Burnsville or Belize, Farmington or France, and I know we've got folks from Mexico here too. There is no distinction, <laughs> right? Jesus is saving people from every tribe and tongue, and people and language and nation, and we should praise God. You are a product of this no distinction. And this is why we exist, the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. Oh, that God would grow our joy in Jesus alone, and therefore a passionate commitment to weeding out any partiality among us and making Jesus known in our neighborhoods and the nations. This is what He's doing right now. God is doing this right now, so we might as well join the party. Like, we might as well get in. Like, we have access to the greatest story ever being told. If you're finding your Christian life boring, you're just not diving in. He's waiting for you to get in the game. Kids, I want to challenge you. I don't care if you're, you're three. I don't care how old your are kid. I want to challenge you as you spend your summers on soccer teams. Right? Drive through Lakeville on a Saturday morning. It's like... Soccer everywhere. So I know some of you are at some of those places. As you're at playgrounds, getting to know other little kids, as you're on walks with your family, as you get together with extended family, wherever you are, who can you tell about Jesus? Like, just start telling people about Jesus when you're little kids so that you don't get old like us and get all afraid. Just make it part of who you are now and adults what about our neighborhoods what about our workplaces you're there for a reason what if this was a summer of our deepest joy in jesus and our widest commitment to making him known point number two spreading to the gentiles and the grace of god let's look at verses 19 to 24 it says now those who are scattered Because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. When the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, they sent, who would you send? Barnabas, of course, to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people who were added to the Lord. Let me just make three quick observations here that encourage me from this text. Number one, notice that spreading comes through scattering. Proclamation comes through persecution. So, so what, what's the chain of events here? Stephen is slaughtered, the people are scattered, the name of Jesus is spoken. Stephen is slaughtered, the people of God are scattered, and the name of Jesus is spoken. That's point number one. Even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. His purposes are never thwarted or stopped. Point number two. Notice who does this work. The hand of the Lord was with them. What did Barnabas see when he came? The grace of God is what he saw. He doesn't go, Man, I'm so glad you finally came to your senses. He saw the grace of God, and he was glad. He rejoiced and glorified God. God is the one working. God is the one saving. Number three, Notice that they rejoiced and glorified God when they heard of the saving work among the Gentiles. Back in verse 18. Notice here, Barnabas sees God's grace and is glad. We are good, reformed, serious people, right? That's what we are. We're Minnesotans too, which doesn't help us with this. But in the midst of the brokenness of this world and the trials of this life, let's be a people that stops and celebrates the work of God, Like, man, he's been doing all sorts of stuff, even over the last year. Let's be a people that sings our heads off and praise prayers of praise. Be a people continually amazed that God keeps saving and sanctifying sinners. Be people that sing and shout and rejoice in the face of evil. All throughout the Bible, God's people are singing people like at the worst time. Sometimes God even sends the band and the choir into the battle first. Because He's worthy of praise. His people can't help but praise Him even in the darkest hours. Let's not wait till things go our way to be a joyful, rejoicing, celebrating kind of people. Notice here that many were speaking the word to only Jews. The Gospel is spreading to them. It says, But some men of Cyprus, which is where Barnabas was actually from, men of Cyrene, get to this huge city in the Roman Empire called Antioch, and they preached the name of Jesus. You don't know much about Antioch. It was the third largest city in the empire. Full of all sorts of idolatrous worship, worldly comforts, pursuits of earthly joy, indulgence kind of everywhere, corruption in the government. All that kind of stuff is going on in the city of power. In other words, it's a lot like the places we live and find ourselves in. Now, this kind of our culture. And what cut through all of that to save sinners? Like, what was the strategy? Well, the strategy was Christians showed up because they were persecuted and running, and they started talking about Jesus. Right? The, the hand of God. The power of the Holy Spirit. The grace of God through people speaking the name of Jesus. And I just had to stop and ask myself this week, like, do I believe that the name of Jesus is this powerful? That it's enough? Right, that, that there are times where I don't even have to break down every ugly, weird theory out in the culture. I don't have to know everything about every perverted thing going on out there. I don't have to break it down and strategize. What I can do is pray and fast and speak the name of Jesus. And he cuts through all of it. Like if you're scared and paralyzed because like, man, there's a lot of arguments out there. I don't understand. I don't know what to do with Just speak the name of Jesus. Let him cut to the heart. Do you believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? That it's really enough, that Jesus is really sufficient. And notice here this is not Paul or Peter or Stephen. These were just some guys. Basically, what the text says some some guys who started speaking the name of Jesus where they'd found themselves scattered to. Like this is Acts 17. God determines the boundaries and the dwelling places, even when it's through persecution, that people might feel their way towards God. It's these not-known-by-name believers that really begin to feel, uh, fulfill the call of the gospel to the nations. It's people like you I should encourage you. Right? I'm no Peter. Right? I'm no Paul. You're no Peter. You're no Paul. I'm not walking by anyone and they're like touching my shadow and getting healed. But I can speak the name of Jesus. I can be some guy in the economy of the kingdom. Kids, do you know that not only should you think about telling people about Jesus this summer, but that you are in your neighborhoods, you're in your schools, you're in your activities you're in, not mainly to learn, not mainly to get better at soccer, not mainly to get better at art. Not mainly to do anything, That you are everywhere you are mainly because Jesus wants to use you to tell people about Him. That's the main reason we are everywhere we are. Adults, that you do know that you're in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, in your families, in your activities, mainly to make Jesus known. Maybe someday, as we read the books of history, we will read... Something like, there were some people that were in Lakeville and they spoke the name of Jesus and the hand of the Lord is with them and many turned to the Lord. None of our names listed around the throne with the peoples of the world. We have the grace of God and the Holy Spirit with us. Are we so devoted to Jesus that even in our most trying times the name of Jesus is on our lips? Do we love our Savior and our neighbors enough to call them to repent and come to life in Jesus. In your neighborhoods, are you adorning the gospel call to repentance with beautiful deeds that make Jesus look beautiful? That's what we saw all throughout First Peter. Point number three, strengthening the Gentiles and the generosity of God. Notice the importance not only of spreading, but also of strengthening that we see in this passage. Jesus tells us, go and make disciples of all nations. We see that happening in this text. Jesus says, baptize them in my name. We've seen that happening. And what else is in the Great Commission? Teach them to observe. That means to obey all that I've commanded you. That'll take a lifetime. (laughs) Teach them to obey, observe all that I've commanded you. And we see that in this passage. We see it first as Barnabas comes. What does he do? Look at verses 23 to 24. It says, He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So what do men full of the Holy Spirit and faith do? They exhort their brothers and sisters to remain faithful to Jesus with steadfast purpose. He says, Church of Antioch, the grace of God has seen your salvation makes me glad. Right? But he probably knows the parable of Jesus in the back of his mind, right? Some seed falls here, some seed falls there, some seed falls here, and in the back of his mind he's saying to them, now let me tell you to stay faithful to Jesus with a devoted purpose. Be devoted to Him, Church of Antioch. Give your lives to Him. Be devoted to the Word and prayer and fellowship with the body. Keep Wanting more of Jesus. Don't let Him grow stale. Don't settle for ultimate joy or pleasure or comfort or happiness anywhere else ever again. Rejoice in Him. Bow to Him. Know Him. Delight in Him. Be with His people. Follow Him every moment. Know His power in your life. Church, know His power in your life because you're devoted to steadfastness. Faithfulness to Him. You never want to leave Him. You never want a second away from Him. What's the sin that's clinging so closely? Walk in His presence. Jesus can break the power of canceled sin. Walk in His presence. Jesus will give you power to witness in your neighborhoods. He's real. He's alive. He's working. He's Lord. He's King of all. Peter says stay close to Him. Lean into him. And we see the church in Antioch listened, doing that in chapter 13. In chapter 13, we find them together in prayer and worship and fasting. And Barnabas is just a great example of how to be, because we see another thing he did is he said, I need help in discipling this church. I need to go get a friend, a partner <laughs> to do this with. This is a big job. And so he goes and he gets. Paul, if you've got big gospel dreams, find gospel partners and say, let's go do this together. Get your small group together and say, man, my neighborhood is on my heart. Let's go for a prayer walk together. Let's, let's talk to them together. Let's have a grill out. and Would you come over and be a little gospel plant at my grill out? Right, do this together. Do this work together. So it says this in verses 25-27, to "...he went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. So they give themselves to the strengthening of this new church for a whole year, teaching, exhorting, stay faithful, observe the commands of Christ, and something happens among this people that they so love and resemble Jesus." that they begin to be called Christians here. As you, as you read kind of the historical sources, it seems that it wasn't a name they came up with themselves, but a name that people begin to call them. Right, so we call ourselves Christians now, but this started by people going, they're, they're Christians. So perhaps it was because there was this multi-ethnic, diverse, strange group of people that being saved from all kinds of background, and there was a new name that was needed to describe um, in the culture what was happening as the gospel was going to the nations. The world around them was asking questions. What are these people about? Right? What, what brings them together they're so different. It makes no sense. And they say it's all because of this Jesus guy. The way they love each other and the, the passionate way they worship and the way that they tell us even at risk of their own lives. Something is different and they say it's Christ. And so the culture begins to call them Christians. And I said, oh man, in our day, That we'd be so about the centrality and supremacy and saving work of Christ as our identity personally and together in our neighborhoods and the nations that they would think to only identify us as Christians. (laughs) We don't know what else to call them. They're about this guy. Would we be that kind of devoted people? Let me just point out two other amazing things about this baby church that was born in Antioch. I just don't want you to miss just the ironies of this story that Luke is laying out for us. Why did this church start? How did they hear the gospel in Antioch? Well, right at the beginning of the sermon I said, at the beginning of chapter 11 it says, the slaughter of Stephen and the scatter of the believers. Who oversaw that slaughter and that scattering? Saul. Who is now teaching them about Jesus? Saul. Saul. Who will they send out as a missionary in chapter 13? Saul. So Saul goes from persecutor to preacher to pastor for a year to being sent out as a church planner. (laughs) Who writes a story like that except the God who's in control and sovereign over all things? So right now, think of the person, the cultural person you think is most scary, most dangerous to Christians, and begin to pray your head off for them that they might be the next Saul. This is what God God does. He saves the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners like Paul, like you, like me. It's a crazy story. And then notice, second thing to notice in these is that in verses 20 to 30, Agabus, a prophet, comes down to them and predicts a famine, and this young church begins to take up an offering for the church in Judea, Judea. Now why am I bringing that up? Because a few short years ago, they would have had nothing to do with each other. Nothing at all. Right? They would have been considered unclean. Right? They would have not associated with each other. Now what do they call them? Do you see that in the text? What do they call the Jews in Judea? The brothers living in Judea. The brothers. They were just foes a few years ago. Now they're families. A few years ago, they would have rejoiced over each other's hardship. And now they're giving generously to relieve it. This is what the gospel does. It turns enemy persecutors into evangelistic preachers. It turns ethnic hostility and fighting into eternal hospitality that is family. What can divide a people truly united in Jesus Christ? What can divide a people that's truly united in Jesus Christ? This is what being united under the name of Jesus does. When the gospel comes, it doesn't just save from sin. It creates a devoted people. And by the power of the Spirit, it begins to transform how we think about everything and everyone and what we do with our lives. Suddenly we go, my money, not my own. My time, not my own. My energy, not my own. My gifts, not my own. We are bought with a price and we just want to pour it all out for the sake of one another and the cause of the Gospel. Jesus is everything. He's Lord, Savior, King, Friend, Leader. We just want to know Him and make Him known in every area of our lives. That's what the Gospel does. That's what Jesus does. In this passage, what we're seeing is the spreading of Jesus by the power of the Spirit through the people of Jesus. And we see this people as one that is devoted to the word prayer and one another because they want more of Jesus and they want to bring more people into the family. Don't be content with the size of our blood-bought family. I care little about numbers as metrics. I care a lot about numbers as souls. Do you? Do you? you care about these these neighborhoods, these business owners up and down the street, the, the horrific things happening at the truck stop up there? Do you care about your neighbors and the brokenness that's in their homes and their marriages? It's whitewashed in the suburbs, but it's everywhere. And Jesus means to break in through you. You are where you are for the sake of His name. God does His work through His people They're united under the name of Jesus to save a global people for the sake of His global praise. This is what was happening in Antioch. This is what we long to see happen among us in the south suburbs. We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. So how I want to end today, instead of kind of giving an application section that I call us all to, I just want to have you bow your heads now. And I'm just going to Lead us through a time of guided prayer. We're just going to walk through (laughs) sin and steadfastness and spreading the things we see in this text and ask right now, we're going to take five, six, seven minutes together as a family and just ask for the Lord to work among us as a people. So bow your heads or don't bow your heads. You can stare at me the whole time if you really want to. It's going to get awkward after a few minutes, but that's okay. We're going to go to the Lord now as a family. So as we start here, let's start with the the sin that clings so closely. So let me ask you a few questions and then give you a couple minutes. Where is that sin in your life that clings so closely? Because of Jesus, we can repent so that times of refreshing could come. So where is the sin that's keeping you from times of refreshing with Jesus? Where does the Lord want to refine you? right now, today. <laughs> like my burden this week has been that He do it now, in this moment. You wouldn't leave here with that same sin being undealt with. Where have you placed your hope and your joy outside of Jesus? And if you think, well, I don't, I don't know where that is, ask yourself where you feel afraid or frustrated most. Where can you ask God to help you remain more faithful to Him? So I'm just going to give you a a minute to ask yourselves those questions. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at bethlehem.church or write us at 720. 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415, Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ.